Welcome to Chew the Fat. In this series, I sit down with high-performance guests and we talk about business, life, and what it takes to be at the top. This is all part of my mission to raise a million dollars for charity by writing a cookbook called Eat With Purpose. You can help us along this journey by sharing the content, following along, because ultimately, the bigger the audience, the more impact we can create together. I hope you enjoy. Simon Cohen, star of Lux Listings, as well as one of the most impressive buyers agency brands in Australia. Welcome to Chew the Fat. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Today, you wanted me to cook you just a, a nice little encourager. I said, hey, something with steak would do. Yep. So I took a little bit of a creative license. So what we have there on the bottom is we have a roasted pumpkin in a honey chili. On top, of course, we have a nice little cooked steak, medium rare. I hope you like that. And lastly, I got a bit of inspiration from Bert's in Newport, shout out, uh, to do a glaze, a balsamic glaze fried Brussels sprouts. Well, can we stop talking about <laughs> yeah, it and yeah. can I eat it? Dig on in. Excellent. Thank you. It looks unbelievable. I don't know where to start here, but we'll do the first taste test. Wow, that's pretty good. Where I'd love to start for the audience is, for those that don't know, Cohen Handler, give yep. us a bit of a snapshot of what it is you do and the scale of the business. Essentially, we're a buyer's agency. Yep. So if you're looking to buy a property, whether it be to live in or as an investment, you come to us and we find it, negotiate, do all the due diligence for you. Uh, Cohen Handler is a nationwide business. Mm -hmm. So we're in Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, Perth, mm -hmm. and Adelaide. Um, and we have buyers agents all across the country who specialize in different areas, different facets of property. They're all area experts in different ways. So we're able to give our customer the best experience and best outcome. And in terms of team size, like how, how many people, I'd love to go get an understanding, you know, look, bit see-through around like, like what it looks like in terms of scale to manage that big of a business. In the group? or Yeah, in, in the group, yeah. In the group, there's probably about 85 people. Mm -hmm. um, so it doesn't feel like a huge amount of people. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't say it's the hardest part of the job. <laughs> and, and is that where a lot of, is your, a lot of your time on that? Are your time really focused around the the buyer's agency work with your clientele in your particular core market? No, my time is very split. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, I'm a good time manager. I do a bit of everything. I mean, for me, being part of the team mm -hmm. and being there for the team is incredibly important. And I think any person who runs a business, you know, that's a vital part of it. I do have a great management team. I do have a great head of HR, so I don't have to do the day-to-day -day stuff. Um, but I am there for the team and involved. So it's definitely something I'm part of, but not my, my core focus. My, my core focus is growth of the business mm -hmm. uh, and, and my you know, clientele that I work with. Awesome. And, and thinking about, I think one of the things with the listeners who listen in is, you know, there are different stages in their business journey. And as we start to think about expansion, whether it be national or international, different challenges start to arise uh, you know, in the context of, crossing borders. What are some of the challenges you've seen as you've expanded from, you know, the core Sydney where it started into those different states we've just talked about? Look, I think, you know, breaking into a new market and a, and a new state is a new market is always challenging, but I actually find it exciting. Mm -hmm. For me, I never look at the challenges. I look at the opportunity and I blindside myself to the fact that things can't work and I only have the view that things can work. And 
I may be right, I may be wrong about that, right? But I think if you focus too much on the negatives, it's always going to be a hurdle. But if you focus on the fact that there's only one outcome and that outcome is that something's going to work, you're going to find a way to make it work. And so I've always seen new markets and new territories as incredibly opportunistic and incredibly exciting. Um, and, And so whilst... There are hurdles, and I think the biggest hurdle, I guess, is finding the right person to manage Mm. that territory, right? Mm. They've got to represent your brand. They've got to represent your values. They've got to be able to grow a team. They've got to be able to run a business as well as being an incredible buyer's agent. So the biggest challenge is finding that person who's going to head up that territory. Mm. And then from there, I think, you know, we have the systems and procedures and marketing departments and all of that where you just sort of slide into this Mm. sort of, you know, machine that just makes it happen. Something you mentioned there piqued me, piqued my interest. It was around this concept of blindside myself to the the, the negativity, if you will, and yep. only look at the opportunities. When you reflect on your life, where did that come from? Just always doing that. I've always been someone who just gives it a go mm. rather than says it's not going to work out. Because I always have had the mindset, I guess, that what's the worst that can happen? Mm. You know, starting Cohen Handler... Back in 2009, the amount of challenges that were against me, one, I was young, Mm. two, I was young and and, and pretty successful real estate agent, right? So it was super hard to give that up. Three, I was starting an industry that no one knew existed, didn't exist. No one knew what it was. Four, it was the GFC. (laughs) I mean, there there were immense hurdles against me, right? But I just had the mindset that what is the worst that can happen? Mm. And that's been my mindset ever since. The first deal I ever did, um, to starting the first business, it's always been a far greater upside mm. than downside. And so I just think that it's like if you're asking someone out, you know, if they reject you, they reject you, you move on. If they don't, you win. Like it's just, it, it's sort of a philosophy in life with everything. Why though? Is it is there something contextual in your in your childhood in your past that I'm uh, that I don't know? Is it is there? A, I've something always that's been created that a, like a bit of a warrior when it comes to things like mm. that. But I think when I first became a real estate agent, mm. I was twenty mm. years old. Mm. I was from the North Shore. I started becoming a real estate agent in in Double Bay, which was like the mm. most highly competitive real estate market in the world. And I ended up door knocking and selling a house for just under $10 million, right? Now, back then, I know I don't look that old, but back then, you know, that was like $50 million today, right? And so what I realized from that process, from my boss at my time telling me I was wasting my time Mm. to winning the business over the senior guys who had been around for a long time, was that there is never the impossible I don't want to sound like Anthony Robbins here, right? But 99% of people thought it was impossible, so they didn't try it. And from that, I've learned that you don't know unless you try. And the worst that can happen, you know, in every case is really never that bad. So why not just try? That's good. That's good. I think we could call you Anthony Robbins. I like that. I don't think I'd be very impressive. But by all means, call me it. You just may not respond. Yeah. So how do you instill that in your team? I, th- I think it's like what you're sharing there is a really strong thing. I'm almost a little bit surprised to not hear this like something in the, in the childhood that you think has come from there. So having that moment 
is almost like it's built evidence for you. And then through time, you continually just stack up that first party evidence yeah. to get you to this really firm mindset today. How do you then go and instill that in your team to have that same willingness to do what it takes? Look, it's hard. You've got to hire people that you feel share the same values, mm. share the same motivation. But, you know, no one can ever emulate themselves in mm. other people. I like to surround myself with like-minded people, mm -hmm. people I believe are passionate, people I believe have the same ethics and morals and all of that. And through that, we're able to build the same vision mm. that, you know, I share and I feel like that's just how you instill it. It's not like an army or, or anything <laughs> like that. You know, you work there if, you, if you're the sort of person that's going to fit in there. Mm. And, and if you are that person, you're going to have that resilience anyway. Mm. Um, and if you don't have enough of it, you know, we'll all push you because we've all learned that the worst case is never that bad, mm. but the best case is always incredible. Mm. It really is always, always incredible. And so why not try always go for the best case? And when you reflect on those times, there's going to be certain particular situations that came close to that worst case. They came close to, or maybe not worst case, but were... Always. <laughs> always. We've all been rejected. Yeah. We've all had the door slammed in <laughs> yeah. our face. We've all tried to do things and, and it hasn't worked, Right. But people remember the things that have worked, mm, mm. not the things that haven't worked. So if you focus on the things that do work, mm. everything else doesn't really matter, in my opinion. Mm, mm. No, I, li I like I don't, it. I don't worry about any of that. <laughs> I like it and I share it. What I would love to know, and, and this is, I guess, I put myself in that audience shoes. Um, sometimes it's like trying to create that the bridge, bridge the gap, because when people hear an incredible mindset like that, it's like, I don't have that. You know, I don't have that. And so... Also then overlaying it with, I guess, contextual, you know, this was almost the worst case. These were some of those bad things, apart from what you just shared, helps bridge that gap. So when you reflect, were there any moments apart from that first starting position that felt like, oh shit, I, I've gone too deep here. Like I, I have met, you know, there, this, has, this era has gone big. Um, well, I'll say two things. Mm. One, when you say people think they don't have that mindset, mm -hmm. right? I think that's bullshit because there's nothing particularly special about me, right? <clears throat> I certainly wasn't the smartest person in school. I certainly didn't come from the most affluent, connected family, uh, possibly quite the contrary. <clears throat> there is no kryptonite or superpower in me. So <clears throat> I don't believe there's no one else who can't do it. <clears throat> I often go and watch people speak. Yeah. And everyone sits there and writes notes and they take these pearls of wisdom, right? But I guarantee you 99.9% .9 of those people the next day forget about all the notes they took and don't impl implement it. Yes. It's the 1% of people who actually implement things that get them done. And that's what I've learned. Mm. Um, you know, starting Cohen Handler was a, a real shit, have I screwed up moment. Mm. There's no question about that. Mm. I had so many things against me. My own family telling me I was crazy, right? How did that feel? For me... There were some days where it drove me and some days where I'm like, have I really screwed this up, mm. right? And I've had a lot of those days in business, you know? I've had a time where things went really pear-shaped with my business partner and I thought everything I had worked for for the previous five years, the blood, sweat and tears, mm. the 5 a.m. starts and the 11 p.m. finishes, I thought I was going to lose all of that, right? So, you know... 
I don't want there to be any misconception in in what I was saying before. It's certainly not all smooth sailing, right? There are there are hurdles every single day. And the best thing I share with my best friends who run businesses is we're able to talk about the fact that every day there's a different hurdle. <laughs> yeah. But it's how you step over those hurdles mm. that will make or break whether it's going to work or not. So it's all of those hurdles that have made me more resilient mm. and made those speed humps less impactful and make the ride smoother, albeit they're still the same speed humps. Nailed it. The, the concept of you only get to be in this place of comfortability in terms of like one hurdle after the other after the other is because like through those moments of tough times in business stretches you and then creates that resilience that like, you know, three years later, you're like, oh, I can't believe I, <laughs> I, can't believe I was scared of that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, I can't believe I was ever worried to knock on a door or yes. I was ever scared to call that business person or I was ever worried to spend that money on that marketing idea because, you know... It always gets better. And it's like, and maybe this is the wrong analogy because I'm certainly not a muscle <laughs> builder here. But it's like when you train at the gym, right? You bench press 20s. And then a few weeks later, like 20s become super easy. Mm -hmm. And then you bench press 30s. Yeah. And they become super easy. It's the same thing. You know, the more you do something, the easier it is. And the more you do something you don't want to do. And when you get to the other side of it, mm. you actually realize that was super easy. Mm. The easier it is to do everything else. Beautiful. Perfect. And something that you mentioned there around your best friends in business, I love surrounding myself in my personal time with friends and people that were kind of on that same journey. What does that look like for you outside of business? Who do you surround yourself with? And, and like, what, what does that relationship look like? I'm someone who believes in having my six or eight best friends and like I'm happy to hang out with heaps of other people, mm -hmm. but I genuinely, my, my only care in the world is my six or eight best friends as far as friends go. Yes. The people I know that if I ever need them, mm. I can call on them. And if they ever need me, they can call on me. They're the people I can hang out with in my Ugg boots and a tracksuit and don't care about. They're the people I can discuss my toughest days with and my best days with. The toughest days, they're there to pick me up and the best days, they're there to be proud of me. Mm. And so I don't believe you need a lot of friends. I believe you need a great small circle of friends. And I'm fortunate all my friends are very driven mm. and successful because they are very driven. Mm. And so we can all talk about similar things mm. and the challenges and the successes in life. And is that like a, a, a quite a frequent thing that happens? Like, you know, do, I, I almost see, you know, the way you discuss that, it's like your life board of directors. You know? Yeah, it really <laughs> is. Like the and there's, there's a, a few of them in particular yep. who we discuss daily, you know. Yes. Who are you having trouble with today? Are sales up or down? Mm. You know, what good media, what bad media <laughs> did you get? You know, it, it, it's, it's such similar things and it's so refreshing mm especially when you're a CEO mm, to speak mm. to other CEOs who talk about how tough it is, not only how good it is because yes. on Instagram and in the newspaper, it's just all so beautiful, but it is tough. Like there's no, you have to be resilient and <laughs> strong and driven to be able to, to survive it. It's not for the faint hearted. And with that relationship is are those ones that are, that are, those are high schools, those ones that have, you know, come, 
through the journey over time. Like Yeah, they've all been there from the beginning. From the beginning. Yeah. Amazing. Old friends, friends for a long time. That whole concept, and I know it's something that people talk about, but I'm so passionate about it, is I have a thing which is what you consume and who you surround yourself with is ultimately like a decider of who you're going to be. Who you're going to be. And I, I add the layer of the consumption because, you know, we, we've all heard, you know, your five closest friends is your blah, 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 blah. But the consumption is like equally important. It's like you've got Absolutely. your friends. What do you go home? Like, do you fill yourself with news? Do you fill yourself with just scrolling socials? Do you feel like what do you consume? Is like, because that's like equal parts to those things. We've all had toxic friends in our lives mm. and you only realize when you get them out of your life how much brain mass they sap from you, right? <laughs> and so it is so important, I believe, to surround yourself with people that are important. And to me, friends and family are that. Mm. Um, if you see me at an event, it's only because I want to be at that event. <laughs> I choose to not go to 90% of events because I'm not about making small talk with people I don't mm. have much interest in. I prefer to hang out with people who, you know, have common interests and, you know, good conversations with. Perfect. And you, you touched on something there around your childhood and, like, that backstory. Do you mind if I ask, like, what did that look like growing up? No, I just grew up in a very normal family yeah. in the burbs of the North Shore. Mm. Uh, I went to a great school. My parents did everything they possibly could to give me a great education and childhood. Um, by no means were an affluent family, mm. but... I never went without anything as a kid, but I did come from a family where I learned that I had to work hard for what I wanted and mm. that's what was instilled in me. Got it. And at school, were you the cool kid, the nerdy kid? Like, what, who, no, I reckon who I, was, I was certainly not the most popular, mm -hmm. probably not the most liked. I was pretty goofy. I certainly wasn't the smartest. Mm. Um, and I would say mm. if you went to my school today, and ask them who the least likely to succeed <laughs> in my grade was, they'd probably say me, um, albeit it's been somewhat of a turn of events. Um, yeah, I was definitely not, not the ducks or the school <laughs> captain. I was, you know, the kid who mucked around and didn't excel at my HSC. Mm. And, and reflecting on like, you know, from an outsider's perspective, get to see you on TV. I know your business because I'm in the industry. I know you guys have done incredibly well. You know, you've, you've, you've been successful in many, many different categories. What drives you today? Like what's the thing that still fuels your fire to take you to that next level? I have a motto in life and it is, if I'm not moving forwards, I'm moving backwards. And so I'm very driven by understanding the way the world works and the way the world works is if you get comfortable, if you get complacent, you're leaving the door open for people to, to come and take what's yours. And I'm not really one for sharing, nor am I one for giving people what's mine. And so I'm very driven to continually stay ahead of the game, to continue my path of moving forward so I don't go backwards. I'm also incredibly passionate about buyers agency, you know, it's something I worked very hard to educate Australia on. Um, and so for me, I'm very driven to keep it at the top of its game and to keep it an industry that people respect, an industry that people want to use and be a brand that's recognized as a world-class brand. And so for me, I'm just driven by always being the best in every facet of my life. Does it scare you when you think about the idea of someone chasing after you? 
doesn't scare me. It actually, it actually pushes me. Why? Because I don't ever want to lose my place as number one. I just, I don't believe in mediocrity. I only believe in the best. And, and that is often a negative in my life, mm. but it drives me to be the best. So there's an interesting concept I, I touched on with Gav, um, which is around this concept. I didn't create it. <laughs> it was uh, Michael Jordan's coach. Yep, and Gavin he, would have loved that. <laughs> he would have loved that. It was yep. perfectly curated for him. Thank God I was listening to some, um, uh, Stephen Bartlett's podcast. And he talks about this concept as, like a, as a key thing in highly motivated, highly driven people. And the concept is like you've got the light side, which is like the thing you're pushing towards – and then you've got the dark side and sometimes the thing you're running away from. And as I hear you talk, I hear, I hear this, this deep motivation. And the reason I ask about the, the scare you is like, I can, it's like not a fear, but it's that, that concept of someone taking it away. It's like, I don't want that. Yeah, it's that and it's just that. Again, you go to the gym, you do 20s, you do 30s, you then want to do 40s. It's like that in everything in, in life, you know. Like when I was a kid, driving the car I drive now would have been my dream car. But then when you've had something for long enough, you just get used to it, right? And it becomes, it becomes part of your life. And mm. I think it's, it's, a, it's a drive thing, but it's also a, a comfort thing. As soon as I get comfortable, I get uncomfortable. Mm. And I want to get uncomfortable even more till I get comfortable. <laughs> and then, I, you know... The cycle repeats. Yeah. I just think... I want to leave the world having left a mark on it. Mm. And I want to do that the best way I possibly can. Will it ever be enough? I hope so, because I do want to retire one day. <laughs> I wish I could answer that, because it isn't now. Yeah. And again, if you had asked me as a kid, if I had what I have now, would it be enough? I'd say, oh my God. But now that I have it, there's so much more I want to do. And there's a lot of that tied commercially like in terms of financial pieces i don't know if it's it's really financial i think i'm fortunate in that i love what i do mm, right mm. and so i'd be bored not doing it um and actually it's hardly a financial thing mm. anymore it's more about being able to continue building what we started out building and making sure that you know one day whenever that day comes, when I do hand over the reins, I'm handing it over in the best possible way, shape and form I can, and that it will continue to remain and run and, and, and be what I've always dreamed it to be. Mm. And continue to create, innovate, you know, build new businesses, create new divisions along the way. And bring me along for that journey. So, you know, I see that sparkle in your eye when you're talking about create what I've always wanted to create. Take me there. We're there. It, what does that look like in your eyes today? What's that vision? For? I don't know because every year it changes. <laughs> it was before just to have the biggest and best buyers agency yes. in the country. But then when we got that, I wanted to have the biggest and best commercial buyers agency in the country. And then when we got to that, you know, I wanted to have the biggest and best investment arm in the country. And now I want to grow our newest business, which is this sort of turnkey furniture package for new properties. And so it's, it's about always 
fitting things into the model mm. that work for everyone. You know, you can come to our group and you can buy a house and then you can buy an investment property and you can rent that property through us. You can then furnish your house through us. It's about just creating a business model that caters to the needs of everyone, which, you know, for me is super important. And, and the furniture piece is interesting. Like what made you think that that was a next logical step? A few things. One, I just finished building my house <laughs> and you could probably tell from the podcast so far, I'm a little OCD. <laughs> so every single thing in my house was custom designed. Mm -hmm. And I got back from a holiday and I walked into my house and the designers took me around and it was turnkey. And I was just like, this is incredible, right? And I'm like, everyone needs this. And having been in real estate for so long, mm. I see all these renders of beautiful apartments and beautiful houses off the plan. And people fall for these beautiful photos and they pay millions of dollars <laughs> for all these properties and they buy them and they walk in on settlement day and it's a square box with painted walls and it looks nothing like it, right? And my vision was that they could use this business, Cohen Freeman, mm. and they could create what they see in those photos mm what their dream are, what their dream is that they're buying and turn it into something better. So on settlement day, when they do move in, it's a lifestyle, not just four walls. And so it might sound lame, but I think it's, you know, you work so hard to, to buy this property. It's like buying your dream car with the, the worst wheels, right? <laughs> it just doesn't look right. You know, it's about those finishing touches, which to me turns it into the, the thing that you've, you put blood, sweat, and tears into. It doesn't feel lame at all, and that's specifically Felt a little lame saying. Yeah. <laughs> as lie. you delivered that, two things came to my mind. One, I want the turnkey solution, but two, well, I'll connect you. <laughs> the, the 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 interesting part was I saw the passion in your eye as you delivered that moment, and I just put myself in the shoes of the Cohen Handlers team, and I'm like, I get it. I get where the business is getting to because the level of enthusiasm you just delivered on that pitch, I'm like, shit, yeah. <laughs> Everything I do, I genuinely believe. Yeah. And I think it's easy to sell something when you believe it. 100%. You know, I've always used the analogy that if you're passionate about milking cows, <laughs> you can be the next dairy farmers, right? Business comes down to one thing and that's passion. From that passion, everything else can be taught. Boom. Take that into a short clip. Thanks, Kai. <laughs> um, I love how that ties in. And so what I want to understand is like, bring me into those strategic moments in your business. Are they, do they look like a, you know, like a formalized board? Is it more that your mind's twisting and turning at all times and something comes to you? Like, how do you have these, sorry, what's the practice to create these next critical strategic steps in your business? There's only two things and probably going to sound lame again too. <laughs> One, I either think of an idea and I want to implement it. Yep. Or two, I meet someone mm. who makes me want to implement an idea. Was that a joint venture you just talked yes. about? Yeah. And that person made me want to implement that mm. idea. And so it's just one of those two simple, easy, non-rocket science things. And the first one, that I think of an idea. I think what's really interesting for people and something I've been sharing is your mental model. Like how you come up with and quickly, quickly analyze a particular idea. So I'll share you mine. So my thing is I have a, a brain of almost laziness yep. and I like to think about the pathway to least resistance. So okay. my mental model when it comes to business is this. What's the big audacious scary goal that's going to get me excited and get the team excited? 
underneath that, what are the core drivers? And then I go, which one of those is gonna get us to there as quickly and simply as possible? And then the last overlay, and this is where I have like a divergence from the way like Gav thinks and, and the way that a lot of like people who are try, um, not trying to be, are like high-end, meticulous, precise, trying to go for the 99 percenters. I go 80% is great and let's always try and hit that so we can move at pace. And so everything is about pace. And so my mental model is really simple. It's like trying to find that way. And I'll explain it in a, let's go, an example of that. In sales, when I was doing sales, rather than going, okay, I'm gonna do 100 cold calls per day and I know over time I'm gonna to get to my numbers. I went, cool, who is the strategy that it looks like? Okay, if I get this client, I know that they're connected to these 10 clients. I'm gonna to go to that person and I'm gonna spend more time disproportionate than them and they're gonna get me access. And so I've made the same output as those 100 calls, but I had my inputs were far smaller and like more time sensitive. That's my little mental model. Bring me into yours. Is there anything there when you think about these ideas? I think your model is actually a very good model. Where, where people go wrong, I think, is they'll try and make those 100 calls yep. willy-nilly. Yes. And they're throwing 100 darts at a dartboard, but they don't know what they're trying to hit, right? Yep. If you can break that down into 10 mm. that are going to 10x the way you described it, Perfect. why not? I don't see it as I'm going to work, you know, one tenth of the time, yes. Because I'd rather still work a hundred percent of the yeah, time correct. and do that ten times, <laughs> yeah. and then boom. But I think you have to be very strategic, and, mm. and successful people think like that. They're strategic about mm. they're strategic about the way they do things mm. to get the best ROI, and and that's in anything, right? Mm. And and when you're thinking about new ideas, is there any kind of framework that you go like? And, and when I say framework, it sounds very glamorous, like I sit down with a chart. It just all happens very quickly. Sure. I've just had to kind of back engineer to go, what am I doing? <laughs> Is there anything you do when it comes to like making a decision or go like, my gut tells me this is going to be a great part of the business. It's Why? gut. Yep. Then I figure out if it's going to be profitable or not. Yep. Then I figure out how profitable, but sorry. Then I figure out how profitable it's going to be. Yes. So I can decide if it's worth my time or not. Yes. And then if it gets to that, I then pass it on to... <laughs> My team, yeah. who make the rest happen. And instill the vision. Yes. Instill <laughs> them the dream. I'm just being honest here. No, no, that's good. That's good. Well, I'll, no, no, I'll no. Like part it. of the team's yep. finance, yep. which are going to run all the numbers, yeah. you know, part of the team's marketing, because mm. I'll be like, listen, this is how I know it's going to work, mm. but I need you to, you know, give me the, art, you know, the costing of how it's all yes. going to happen so yep. I can, you know. I have amazing people who I work with and I just trust that I pass it on to them and they make what... They're brilliant at happen. That's the best. And way I to focus on what I'm brilliant at and nothing else. Perfect. <laughs> if you were to start the business tomorrow or a business, what would you do differently in today's climate? Absolutely nothing. And I haven't had the smoothest sailing mm -hmm. since I started. I mm. mean, again, I had a business partner. I don't have a business partner anymore. But I think I am with. Sorry, I think I am mm. where I am today mm. because of everything that's happened and so I wouldn't change anything. Mm. I think starting mm. out, building a brand on pure passion and hustle is the only way to build a brand, right? And so I wouldn't change that at all. Um, surrounding yourself with people who share the same vision as you, mm. I wouldn't change that. You know, guerrilla marketing your brand, I wouldn't change that really standing by morals and what you believe is the right way to do things. I wouldn't change that. Have I learnt lessons 100%, but does that mean I would change anything? No. 
and take me into that guerrilla marketing. Like what, what, what did that look like and what would you implement? Um, and I'm, I guess let me help frame. I'm trying to think of that person who's maybe thinking about that step. Yeah. Either thinking about that step or has just started. Like what are those kinds of things that you go, okay, I, I, I know, I have an understanding of what's available to me today. What are the tools that I might use or the guerrilla tactics I might use that could launch your brand onto the map in 2024? Another groundbreaking quote, but the squeaky wheel gets the oil, right? You've got to stand out. Yeah. And so whether you're using social media, whether it's online marketing, whether it's print marketing, digital marketing, whatever it might be, you have to stand out, mm. but people have to know what you are when you stand out. Mm. And so if you're starting out and everyone thinks it's so easy to start a business, right? I'll just slap up a website and an Instagram page get an ABN and, and off I go. If only it was that easy, <laughs> right? There's got to be substance to what you're putting out to the world. Mm. And if the world doesn't see that substance, then you're going to fizzle away into the atmosphere, right? Mm. So I think if you are starting a business, you've got to really sit down and clearly understand who you are and what you stand for and why people are going to use you. If, the, if you cannot clearly articulate why people are going to use you or your products, whatever it might be, then give up now. <laughs> because how is anyone going to pay you money for a service or a product that you yourself don't believe in? And I think from that comes everything else. If you believe in what your reason is, that will come through in your marketing, right? And then your marketing will come out and if you do it in a strategic way, and it depends on the demographic of the people you're trying to sell to, but let's say it's online marketing, you know, you'll push out a marketing strategy that the world's going to see and they're going to go, wow, you know, I resonate with that or I, I have to have that or I need to pay $69.99 for a water bottle that I could buy for $2.99, right? Everyone has everything they need. It's just about how it resonates with them, mm. which is the reason why they're going to use it or buy it. And what do you think resonated with what you did? I know what resonated with what I did. And it only resonated once I, it happened. Mm. And that is I proved why people should use buyer's agents. I started doing deals in the GFC, deals that no one thought were, were possible. And once those deals started happening, thanks to some incredibly loyal clients of mine, everyone else started seeing those deals and they wanted access to those deals. And from that, from a seed, the flower grows and that's exactly how it happened. Boom. <laughs> it's easy. That's good. That's good. And, and take me to the decision. So I, now I, I take that overlay of the guerrilla marketing, you know, incre increasing the brand. and the But I, I do want to say though, Sorry, tell me. starting my business, yeah. there was no marketing. Yeah. We started with 5,000 bucks. <laughs> that was for a website, rent, desks, business cards, everything. There was no marketing. We were the marketers. Yes. We went out and met every single person we could meet. We're seen everywhere we could be seen. We didn't have to spend any money. So... The guerrilla marketing only came once we had some mm. cash flow yes. and we could start doing that. And the key there that you're touching on is really important point. It's a point I got asked the other day, which is around like the, those early days, the starting days. The thing you do have in those early days often is time. And so like where you can spend like, okay, I don't have cash to go and spend shitloads of money on social or TV ads or whatever it might be. 
but I have time and I, that's my best asset right now. I can leverage and over, over deliver for customers and those customers will become my marketing. Technically, they'll become my guerrilla marketing campaigns that on a micro level. Should be your motto for your entire career. Your customers are your best marketing tool you'll ever, ever find. You telling me that the car wash you went to was the best car wash you've ever been to is far greater than me seeing 10 ads about that car wash. Far greater. 100%. People don't realize that treating your customers right is the best thing you'll ever do. The first five deals I ever did in 2009, and it's almost 2024, those clients are all still my clients. Some of them I bought 10 to 15 properties for, totaling hundreds of millions of dollars, right? If I had just forgotten about them, mm. look, at, look at all that lost revenue. Mm. But not only that, it's added to my journey by having those people by my side this whole time. And so you should never forget your customer. That is your best marketing tool. And if you looked back and calculated, which would be almost impossible, their ROI over that time in terms of who they've spoken to and all those different layers. Impossible. <laughs> it would just but be like... <laughs> some of them entire communities. Yeah, wow. Entire communities. Where I'd like to take us next is around, what was the reason that you decided to go into Lux listings? <sighs> There were so many reasons for and so many reasons against. The ultimate reason was that I could never, ever, ever afford what it would cost to get that amount of marketing on my own. And that was just the best way to take our brand internationally. And to be honest, the only reason I did it was for brand exposure. That's what I thought. That, that makes perfect sense as we touched on guerrilla marketing. Was the impact as great as you thought? The impact was far greater. Talk me through In that. In so many levels. The most amazing part of the impact was that people got to see what we do, who we are, how we add value, the passion that we have. And, and the feedback on that to me has been the most amazing part of the journey. But then the obvious stuff you know, walking in a town in Puglia in Italy and someone recognizing me as the guy from Cohen Handler, mm -hmm. albeit he thought the show was on Netflix <laughs> because that's all he could say in English. But how incredible it has taken our brand and mm -hmm. what we do and ultimately what we stand for to the world. Mm -hmm. and, and for me, that's been the best part of it all. And is there any unobvious downsides? Honestly? Mm -hmm. I would do it 50 times over. It's incredibly time consuming. Mm. All your competition are gonna say, well, they're too busy doing a TV show so they can't do deals, which just means you do 10 times more deals than them and prove them wrong. <laughs> so no, I wouldn't swap it for anything. And I was so scared going into it and I have no desire to be famous. Mm. As a matter of fact, as a kid, everything my dad taught me was the less people know about you, the better yet our lives turned out quite the opposite. But it's been an incredible experience and I don't think one many people get to experience, mm. so I would do it all over again. Beautiful. Mm. And 
what's the throughput been from that? Like what, what have you seen in terms of the brand? I guess there's a brand growth in terms of recognition, but additional clients, additional team members. Like what, what does that look like? like take me into the, the take me under the It hook. looks exactly like that. I mean, a handful of additional team members. Okay. Because we are very strict about who we hire. Nice. We have a clear point of difference, and that is we only hire people with experience mm. and we only hire people who fit our culture and our family. And so we don't grow as quickly as you probably think in that department mm. because we're very fussy. Interesting. I think if you don't have that point of difference, what are you offering your customers? But it has... It has without question mm. helped us open in new markets mm. far quicker and at a far bigger scale than we would have without it. And including your core area, has that seen an ex a Oh, absolutely. Increase? I mean, I've got clientele from around the world, which I didn't have before. But you have to remember, we were all doing okay before. It's yeah, not yeah. like we went from zero to hero. We saw growth. But we, we weren't nobodies in our industry before. We still were Cohen Handler, the market leaders, and we still are Cohen Handler market leaders. Just more people know about us now. And I, as I reflect on this whole conversation and all of these different touch points and ultimately like what it takes to be at the top, something that keeps coming to my mind is what's the cost? What's the cost for Simon? I think the cost for anyone is... Look, I live a, a great life. I wouldn't swap my life for anything and I love it. But the cost is you're always on. I woke up at two o'clock this morning. I couldn't fall back to sleep. My mind was working nonstop. And I think that's the biggest cost. You could be out for dinner with your friends and something could come up. You could have to get up at four in the morning. So the cost is, is time and that you are just always switched on. For me, that cost is outweighed by so many other positives, so I personally don't mind it. But if I had to tell you what the cost would be, that would be it. And what is the, the thing so far I haven't asked you? Is there anything on your top of your mind, anything that's happening with, uh, in, within Simon's world that I haven't yet asked you? Well, we've gotten pretty deep, so I think you have asked me a lot. Perfect. Is there anything else you want to know? I think I'm good today. Okay, good. <laughs> Simon, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me and great steak. <laughs> no, As you can see, it's all gone. <laughs>